0: You for listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine Strong, and today I'm excited to be speaking once again to Melissa Joy Johnson. Melissa Joy is an author, speaker, and inspirational leader. She is the founder and instructor of Joy Seminars. Melissa is best known for her ability to engage people from all over the world to embrace their true, authentic power by playing in the field of the heart. She has a unique perspective on how we are able to experience living joyfully and loving completely. Melissa has also been co-teaching popular Life Transformational Matrix Energetic Seminars around the globe since 2008. If you enjoyed this conversation with Melissa Joy, you are sure to like our previous chat on podcast episode nine. She has a new book out called The Integrity Effect. Hi, Melissa. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me back.
0: Oh, I'm really excited because I actually did read your book and I really enjoyed it. And I personally, for some things that I'm going through, I found it to be very helpful. But first, I have to ask you, Did you really write your books on your iPhone?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I really did write my books on my iPhone. That's um, something that I actually shared in The Integrity Effect. But yeah, I didn't expect that question.
0: I find it amazing. I could never do that.
1: (laughs) For people that have never heard of me, I've written uh, now four bestselling books. Uh, My most recent one is The Integrity Effect, and I have a very unique process of downloading information and then transmitting it through my iPhone. And it, I kind of discovered it uh, on accident because I was allegedly going on vacation. I thought I was going on vacation. And when I got uh, to the vacation spot back in 2013, I heard from, you know, whether it's my, my own guidance or an extra, exteriorized construct called Guides. I heard you're you're not on vacation. You're here to write your book, and I proceeded to download a bunch of information uh, over the next week that then became my first book. Mjoy, practically speaking. When I went to write my second book, I tried to be a normal person and, and write on a computer and it just, it was so slow. It just didn't work for me. For whatever reason, the virtual keyboard of an iPhone, it's just it's just lightning fast. And so the answer is yes, I absolutely write my books on my iPhone. It's an unusual process, but it works for me and it's super efficient. And then I just, I've just learned to transfer everything to my computer because you know sometimes iPhones break down or you have water spill on them, or you know things happen so uh, that happened to me uh in the the first round of writing the integrity effect i and I talk about this in the book where I, I woke up and my uh my iPhone had been flooded by a broken glass, and I couldn't write and uh and and I felt paralyzed at the same time the experiences that unfolded. During the time frame that I couldn't write were necessary in order for me to be able to write the book, so it was all perfect.
0: Yeah, and that was actually one of my favorite chapters. I found it very, uh, very fun to read. <laughs>
1: the, la- the last chapter that I actually wrote first.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Appreciate it. So let's start with what is the integrity effect.
1: Well, the integrity effect besides being the uh, the top the <laughs> title of the book, the integrity effect is it, there's actually a physics to living in integrity and it is the integrity effect is what happens when we embody coherency and congruency, when we are Aligned with the true callings of our heart, and we implement what I refer to as heart mind synthesis. In other words, we make mm-hmm. choices leveraging the mind that are aligned with the true authentic desires of the field of the heart and what transpires as a result of living from the heart first and then making choices accordingly is the physics of integrity and it creates extraordinary living and that extraordinary living is what i refer to as the integrity effect
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. and there's something about the integrity effect in that we're all We're all essentially hardwired for integrity the integrity I'm talking about it's not it's not some moral standard or a series of behaviors or or social mores it's it's none of those external references The integrity okay. effect is a it is a a state of being connected to your true authentic self and living aligned with what is right, true, and correct for you. And it's really an inner volition of the heart that then um, is projected and reflected out in, in life situations and circumstances. And so it's really a facet of trust and connection and, and bypassing the the programs and the expectations and so-called enculturations to be able to really listen to your own uh, intuition and then let that be the GPS that calibrates you toward creating new heart prints.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do we know when we're not in integrity with our true authentic self or, or, or vice versa? How do we know when we are in integrity? However you want to <laughs> word that. It's great the way that you asked both those questions
1: because um, it, either way, typically we we tend to know when we're not, it's almost easier to notice when you're not in integrity mm-hmm. than when you are in integrity. And that seems kind of counterintuitive. But in other words, when we're out of integrity with our core essence, situations and circumstances will They skew sideways. They actually have a distorted geometry. We end up getting ricocheted. We we tend to get pummeled by the circumstances that are playing out in our life. What we consider unfortunate situations or circumstances are often a reflection of of a form of self-betrayal in a sense. And Hmm. so a lot of times we can just take a look at what are the patterns that are showing up in my life that may be indicative that I'm not necessarily... Listening to myself. I'm not necessarily in a cohesive and congruent relationship with myself So that's one of the ways that you that you can notice If you want to notice it from the standpoint of am I in integrity with myself? Then usually it will play out as um, it just feels right. It Hmm. just feels Authentic it just feels true and when I mean true. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about true or false or absolute. I'm, I'm talking about connected. It feels Mm -hmm. connected. Uh, I actually had a brief conversation with somebody yesterday who, who said to me, oh, well, when I'm in integrity, I always feel good. And I'm like, really? I said, when I'm in integrity, I don't always feel good because sometimes living in integrity means making choices or decisions that don't always feel good. Mm -hmm yet they do feel aligned they do feel true they do feel authentic
0: does that make sense to you absolutely absolutely it doesn't so so it's not necessarily that being integrity means I feel good uh, if I'm being authentic, because sometimes perhaps you may need to break off a relationship because it's toxic for you. And that doesn't feel good, but it would feel being in integrity. Yeah.
1: So it's funny. I was just going to bring that up because a lot of times when you live in integrity, you know, your resonance changes and the people in the 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 placeholders in your life, uh, there's no longer the same type of resonance. You you can't necessarily stay in relation to them. And Mm -hmm. yet there's this knowingness, all right, I need to end this dysfunctional relationship. It doesn't always feel good. However, it does feel necessary. It does feel, it feels authentic. It feels real. And so, you know, I, I sort of got on this person's case yesterday because from from a loving <laughs> place, because I just said, you know, you're, you have an idea around integrity, but but that mm. idea around integrity is actually going to create an inherent limitation because if you think you always have to feel good in order to be in integrity, you will actually end up betraying yourself in the name of feeling
0: good. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. Thank you. That was a, that was a good explanation. So you just mentioned, um, placeholders and that was something I was going to ask you about because that seems to be an important concept in the book. And honestly, it took me a while to really grasp the concept to wrap my mind around really what placeholders are. And then you talk about placeholders becoming graceholders. So perhaps you could, elucidate that whole concept a little bit.
1: Yeah. And and first of all, what I will share is that um, the concept of placeholders is it's core and fundamental to the MJOY teachings. And it's something that I teach in the live experiential weekend seminars. And, you know, attempting to distill the embodiment of the teachings from a live framework into paperback edition is, is sometimes challenging. And yet I, I managed to do a a pretty good job at it. Um, Mm -hmm. But the the concept of placeholders, the easiest way that I can explain it is that a a placeholder is, it's anything that you are in relation to, because everything is you in relation to absolutely everything. And so that sounds really Mm -hmm. great. So let me bring it down to a little bit more specific. A placeholder is any pattern of information. It can be a problem, it can be a condition, it can be a disease, it can be a relationship. Uh, Those can all be one one in the same, actually. It Mm -hmm. can also be a true, authentic desire or a possibility or probability that's not actualized. It's not necessarily always something negative or always something positive. -hmm. A placeholder is simply something that you're in resonance with that is there to reflect back some aspect. Of self-love or not loving self that you've not yet recognized in the term placeholder it actually it has a couple different origins I originally pulled it from mathematics because I'm, I'm a big strong advocate of physics um, the physics of integrity uh-huh. is what I teach relative to self-love and self-love is the whole equation um, when you get that then everything sort of aligns accordingly and in mathematics a placeholder is an unknown variable in relation to a whole equation. So simply stated, x mm-hmm. plus three equals mm-hmm. five. Okay. X is the placeholder in relation to the whole equation. Now we all can, we've all learned basic mathematics. We can do subtraction and figure out that the placeholder, the value of placeholder in that equation is two. Okay. Mm-hmm. And But it only holds value in relation to the whole equation. Or the, the number zero is a placeholder that is often used in mathematics. Zero itself has no value. But as a placeholder in relation to all of the other numbers, 0.005 has a different value than, say, 0.00005. So those placeholders describe in relation to... In other words, the placeholder itself has no value other than the value it holds in relation to the other numbers in the equation. Placeholders in our experience of reality are the same way. We, we actually live in a, in a holographic universe made of uh, the universe's math. And, mm-hmm. and when, when you get this at, at a very practical level, the opportunity becomes, how do you want to interact with your placeholders? The big value is that When a problem or a condition or a disease is not related to as a problem condition or disease, it becomes a placeholder, it becomes simply a pattern. Well, then we have leverage or wiggle room to interact with that placeholder in a different way from a hollow framework of completion. And so in a very simple way, through the course of the live seminars, I teach people how to interact with placeholders and how to leverage those placeholders so that they no longer hold the same place in our experience of reality and when our placeholders transform into grace holders then we literally are free we're no longer shackled by that pattern in the same way it's no longer an addiction to a distraction it simply becomes an opportunity that we can leverage as a springboard into our own magnificence
0: Mm mm-hmm Thank you. That was a very, very good description, and I think I finally got it. I was getting it, but um, I feel like now I really understand it, and it feels like it's something that's really could be very important to understand and use.
1: Well, I mean, I can, I can speak personally. I can speak for you know, probably now thousands of students around the world. Is that the concept of placeholders can be a whole fractal game changer because when you're engaging with anything that you're in relation to as a placeholder, it, it takes away the charge. It takes away mm-hmm. the judgment. It takes away the shame and the blame. It takes away all of the holographic references that keep us shackled to a state of no change. And it really becomes an opportunity for liberation. And it, it doesn't mean that you walk around, you know, carelessly as an automaton and you're like, oh, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to grieve the loss of uh, my best friend because she was just a placeholder. and oh, I'm not really depressed, it's just a placeholder. But being able to engage with the experiences that we are having as placeholders that can reflect back to ourselves something that we've not yet recognized makes the universe a very curious and delightful place to live in.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I can definitely see personally just how beneficial using outside references or situations or people as... Uh, viewing them as placeholders can separate you out from all the emotional garbage that goes along with something that's a, a situation that's an irritant or that's difficult or challenging.
1: Well, yes. And also what what occurs is rather than sort of separating yourself out, what ends up happening is you begin to integrate with aspects of yourself. Um, Mm. And so rather than creating a sense of separation that then gets perpetuated through a problem, there's a connection that occurs. And, and then that so-called problem that you thought you needed to separate out from, uh, you no longer relate to it in the same way.
0: Mm -hmm. Sounds like a valuable tool. That we should all learn. <laughs>
1: you had mentioned that you've um you've been uh, playing around with placeholders relative to some of the things that you're experiencing in your mm-hmm. life. Like, how has it served you so far?
0: Well, um, what I've been finding is that actually, huh, interesting that you should ask that question. My mind goes a mile a minute, and it's always it's always churning, and I have not been able to let go of. Frustrated, kind of angry feelings. And what I've been noticing just in the last couple of days, because I did just finish your book recently, is that my mind is way more quiet. I'm not, I'm not churning these thoughts that are just bringing me down and depressing me and they're not doing anything to be helpful. Um, it's just a vicious cycle going over and over. And I just, I noticed in the last couple of days that my mind is pretty quiet. Which is really nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, really nice. <laughs> awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we don't even
0: realize
1: how we're continually ruminating. There's so much noise and conversation going on um, within ourselves that we can't we can't even really even hear ourselves think. We're just running these programs over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, mm-hmm. when we get into that that space of grace of quietness, um, it's it's it. It's not even that it's empty. It's, it's as though we, we tap into that void that is voluminous with potential. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just makes, it just makes being in your own house of consciousness, uh, so much more pleasant and joyful.
0: Absolutely. I'll give you an example. The other day I, I woke up. And my mind was calm and, you know, I was, I was just feeling a nice calmness, not thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden I started in with how upset I was about this situation. And I'm like, geez, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then I realized just in the last couple of mornings when I awakened that I was able to wake up and I wasn't getting hooked by those, those negative thoughts and feelings that I was just staying calm. And I even thought about the person and some, you know, two or three things that were bothering me. And there was like nothing there. It was just neutral. It was awesome.
1: (laughs) I I like to say what, what hooks us has us. And, um, and it's so true. And we don't even, we don't even realize what our, what we're hooked into. We just think that's simply the way things are, or life has to be this way. And then, you know, once you start becoming aware of unhooking yourself and once you've had a taste of that freedom, uh, you never forget it. It becomes a permanent
0: placeholder that is always available. It really is a freedom. I, I think that's the, the best word to use for that. It's an incredible just sense of, of yeah, not being hooked. It's like that fish hook is, is taken out and there's this sense of of, of freedom.
1: Well, and, and often what happens, and I love to watch the physics of this, uh, and this is something that I teach in the live seminar, what happens when we get hooked as we actually we actually leave our bodies, we actually move out and we start spiraling in that vortex of whatever pattern it is that we're um, engaging in or, or ruminating with and when we do that, we've actually lost access to true authentic power we've we've abandoned our house of consciousness. We've moved out of our own inner dominion, and then, well, that just brings forth, you know, a whole bunch of hitchhikers, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. we wonder why we can't change things. The the greatest access to change is through the field of the heart. And when we leave our house of consciousness and we're hooked into something, in effect, in many cases, we've left our heart. So I play around a a lot in, in all my books, and particularly in the live seminars, with making the distinctions between being in your heart, being in your problems, being. In your heart, engaging with placeholders and then integrating the placeholders with the field of the heart, and in that whole process, many many long standing patterns and grids um, evolve and dissolve into something very different very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do find that it when I remember, which isn't as often as I would like, but when I remember to drop down into my heart and look out side of me from there instead of from my mind, that things really do take on a a, a different hue. its I'm not sure what it is, but it it gives a, a way to see things from a different perspective, a more holistic perspective.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. The I I liked your use of the term Hugh, as you were uh, appearing to struggle to find the words. But you knew exactly right. what You were saying, <laughs> the way I look at it is when whenever we're coming from our mind with all our perceptual filters and our programming and our conditioning, we're looking at the world through blurry goggles. And, um, mm. and then when we drop into the heart, it's like all of a sudden off with the blurry goggles and we begin to see more clearly, more coherently. We see the whole picture. We see the whole hologram, so to speak. And things do in fact, take on a different hue. They actually take on, um, all the hues and all the colors of, uh, this diverse tapestry of a, a magical universe that we live in. And, and it's, it's often hard to put words around it, but what we're doing is we're returning to our natural state, and we're, we're returning to uh, a sense of wholeness and completion, um, and we're bypassing the segregation of the mind.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I find that it's, it makes it easier. It's almost like just naturally, when you drop down into your heart, it releases any ideas of judgment It makes it easier to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes and see out of their eyes.
1: Absolutely, one of the beautiful things about about heart centered awareness is that uh, it's it's this all inclusive integrative space that includes all perspectives and at the same time is devoid of perspective. And so it's very easy to occupy multiple perspectives simultaneously when we're in the field of the heart. It's kind of like when we're in the mind, we can access only one angle of awareness of that's what we call our perspective and the field of the heart includes that perspective, but it also expands into includes, including all perspectives. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, really that's where compassion is birthed from. It's the ability in, to, to occupy multiple perspectives simultaneously.
0: A great definition. Thank you. I like that. So I'd like to move to addictions, because I found that chapter in your book to be fascinating, how you talk about addictions as distractions. Um, Because we're, you know, most likely I think everybody's addicted to something, it may not be something, quote unquote, negative, it may be something useful, but we all have our addictions. How are addictions distractions?
1: In the chapter entitled Addictions as Distractions, I open it by claiming we're all addicts. And, mm. um, and uh, you know, I first I preface it off, you know, so as to not offend people with, you know, we're all addicted to love and I, and I map the neurochemistry of love and I talk about the science of what our body does when we experience love. There is a trackable neurochemical reaction that occurs in relation to love. A lot of times we don't experience love. And because we're hardwired for love, we will go looking for that neurochemical response in all the wrong places. Um, And so when I talk about being addicted to distractions, what I'm talking about is this incessant search for love. Um, All Mm. addictions are, um, by MJOY definition, all addictions are Mm -hmm. an attempt to find our true authentic self to experience self-love as authenticity and integrity while at the same time simultaneously seeking to avoid it and what I mean by that is that the addiction Mm. it's like this distraction where you're you're looking for yourself in the placeholder of the addiction like you're trying to look in the mirror and see your reflection but at the same time you're looking away at your shadow and so you never really see yourself clearly and part of what transpires when we're so mired in our addictions is that we see ourselves through the lens of the addictions and we see ourselves through um, the shame and the judgment and and then the shame and the judgment and the blame actually serves to perpetuate the very behavior that we're Going up against and saying is wrong And so I really approach the addiction chapter from the standpoint of hey, we do things for a reason Part of the reason, or perhaps the whole reason, is that we are we are looking for the neurochemistry of love. Um, that is mimicked in all addictive patterns, whether we're talking about addiction to um, drugs or alcohol or shopping or sex or Facebook or even drama or you know codependent relationships or even the so-called healthy addictions. They all produce the same neurochemistry, and. Um, Beginning to approach your addictions as a placeholder gives the opportunity to engage with the pattern uh, and to move from compulsion to choice, to mm. move from needing the addiction in order to feel okay, to recognizing that the very need for the addiction to feel okay is preventing us from feeling okay to begin with.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So, well, let's say for someone is addicted to alcohol, how might you approach that to be helpful to them?
1: Well, I can't necessarily answer the question in such a hypothetical abstract uh, (laughs) frame of reference. And here's why, because um, it's not a real example that you're giving me, right? right? So I can't track the patterns of the person who is engaging in drinking because we've got to treat people, not their addictions. Every single person has a unique configuration of patterns of information and why that person might be reaching for um, vodka every night might might be different than why someone else might reach for vodka every night. And so my approach would be different. What I can share Mm -hmm. on a collective level is that I teach a series of fields. Um, I've written a whole book about it beyond the integrity effect called Little Book of Big Potentials. And there is actually a whole field, uh, field 122, freedom from addictions. And I... I did a free. I'll just give this example. I did a, a free video on YouTube demonstrating that particular field. It was about three and a half minutes, and I just talked about bringing in field 122 to offer freedom from addictions. And this couple in Australia watched the video because apparently they had been drinking together for more than 20 years, and they both were by traditional standards. They were both alcoholics, and they stopped mm-hmm. drinking cold turkey immediately. Oh my goodness! Following that. So That's a very simple answer. The the more authentic answer is that it's a very complex pattern, Um, but I would take a look at the alcoholic pattern, not from, hey, the person is an alcoholic, but I would take a look at the behavior as a placeholder, and then I would interact with that person relative to why are they engaging in these patterns? What are the triggers? What are they seeking to find within that pattern that they are also seeking to avoid? And so there's a lot of different approaches that I might use, but I really can't give a this is what you do with this type of pattern because that's part of where we get into trouble, particularly in the allopathic model, is that we try to treat diseases or conditions. And no two diseases are the same and no two conditions are the same. And there is no there is no cure for alcoholism in the allopathic model. That's a very powerful morphic field. You can be a Mm -hmm. sober alcoholic you might not have had a drink for 30 years, but once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, not necessarily mm-hmm. in the model of placeholders. And that's um, it's very, very liberating.
0: Mm, cool. No, I think that was a great answer. Thank you. So you just talked about morphic fields. What what is a morphic field?
1: Well, uh, the term morphic field uh, was actually coined by biologist Rupert Sheldrake, and I always like to direct people to the source because I think that uh, not enough credit is given to this the source of information, although we could say mm-hmm. the source is uh, universal consciousness. But uh, Rupert Sheldrake coined the term morphic field off a proven principle in biology known as morphogenic fields. And basically, a morphic field is, I'll give a melanized definition, It's it's basically a non-local template of information that gives structural and functional marching orders to all living organisms. So more simply stated, let's just say that you and I and everyone as individuals are like quantum computers. In fact, you know, our our biofields and our bioholograms function like quantum computers. Mm -hmm. In order for the liver to get information telling the liver what to do, it dials up on the universal internet on a cloud server called the liver cloud server. Uh, (laughs) Okay. And so the liver cloud server is like a morphic field and there are morphic fields everywhere that are directing all of, all of really the interconnected universe to do what it does. So it's kind of like morphic fields are the they're the cloud servers that host specific information for the universal internet. Now, why are we even talking about morphic fields? Well, morphic fields themselves are very habitual in nature. They tend to function based on predictability. They they explain why the presence of the past tends to influence the future. They're mm-hmm. very probabilistic in nature. And Understanding morphic resonance relative to your own experience of reality is incredibly empowering because morphic fields are like grids. So if you want to change your experience of your life, if you want to change your patterns, it is very, very useful to take a look at the morphic fields that you're in resonance with. What are the cloud servers that you're knowingly or unknowingly connected to that are creating and perpetuating your experiences? What Sheldrake has has done with his research of morphic fields parlaying off of biology is he said it's more than a biological organizing principle of the universe. There are social morphic fields, and economic morphic fields, and religious morphic fields, and familial morphic fields, and cultural morphic fields, and they have a very pervasive influence on our experience. One of the things Hmm. that I teach about so um, consistently, no matter whether it's a live seminar or in any of my books, is how to become aware of the morphic fields that are playing out in your reality. For example, Mm -hmm. I just referenced the morphic field uh, of alcoholism and how in the allopathic model, there's specific information in that field that says, you know, uh, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Well, when you're in that particular morphic field, reality will conform accordingly. Learning how Mm -hmm. to change up your resonance can change up your experience. Many diseases are morphic fields. When you're in a morphic field of, let's say, depression, then if you're following the morphic field of depression in an allopathic medical model, then there's going to be certain prognoses or diagnoses and expectations and outcomes that that are going to influence your experience. And depression is a morphic field that by and large has been uh, engineered by The pharmaceutical industry, and it has grown and perpetuated and become much more prevalent because there's been more medications that needed to be marketed. So it's a, I'm not saying that all depression doesn't benefit from uh, treatments of medications, but depression is an opportunity, and it doesn't necessarily get healed by putting a band aid called Prozac on it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think it happens all too often. It's so easy just for a doctor in his fifteen minute time with you. To just write a script for an antidepressant.
1: Well, yeah, because you know, following his fifteen-minute time with you, before the next fifteen-minute session, that's limited by the HMO um, that's paying for the for the visit. Um, there's a three-minute visit from a pharmaceutical rep that's getting you know paid to deliver a message that says, "Hey, you know, give your patients their life back. You know, prescribe Prozac, Zoloft, or Effexor." There's a lot of pervasive morphic field influences that are playing out influencing the behavior. That's a, probably a whole other conversation that we could have. I do talk about uh, my experience uh, having spent more than a decade in the pharmaceutical industry and how many of the common diseases that are now treated were actually made common through pharmaceutical marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting so that lots more drugs can be sold really
1: well at the end at the end of the day yeah uh, it it does boil down to money in that particular morphic field
0: so what might you say to someone who is going through uh some depression and they're considering maybe taking an antidepressant because they don't really know what else to do and they want to feel better?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that there's nothing wrong inherently with taking an antidepressant. Um, The last thing you want to do is shame someone for exploring options. And I literally just got off of a session with someone who has been going through a really hard time and is deliberating about taking an antidepressant and thought that um, it would be a shameful thing to do because she has a naturopathic background. Mm Mm-hmm. Antidepressants are placeholders. What I will say is that as a placeholder within that uh, depressive experience, which is simply the depression is a gap between who you truly are and how you've conditioned your life to be. And it's an awareness of that gap that creates the depression. So begin to look at it as an opportunity. Uh, You may need to take an antidepressant to support you in moving out of the perception of being stuck. Sometimes just making a decision can actually catalyze you into a different Mm resonance. However, it's not so much whether you take the antidepressant that is an issue. It's the consciousness behind taking the antidepressant. If you're going to take it simply because you want whatever's going on for you to go away, then you're going to miss the opportunity. And in many cases antidepressants won't work when that's the mindset behind it. However, Mm -hmm. if you, if you say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to allow myself to be in receivership of some help and support. And at the same time, I'm going to explore with curiosity and non-judgment why this experience is playing out for me, why I feel so quote depressed, then it can create a completely different configuration. And really maybe you're not even really depressed i think i talk about this in the, in the book maybe you're eating cheetos for breakfast that sugar is off like <laughs> mm-hmm. who gets diagnosed as depression might be no you're you're working in a windowless office from 8 to 5 and you're breathing recycled air so there may be Um, other variables at play. Maybe you think you are depressed and the depression is a placeholder, but it's there as a cue to signal something that you've not yet recognized. And that's where it can become a huge opportunity.
0: Right. I like the way you express that because I know depression can also be a, a symptom of low thyroid. It can be a symptom of the gut microbiome imbalance and inflammation. There are a lot of reasons for depression. Indeed.
1: And at the same time, a lot of times the physical body is the last one to get the memo. <laughs> and so it might be as simple as you flip and hate your job. Mm Mm hmm that might be difficult for you to come into acceptance of. Or maybe you you hate your job, but you've justified that you have to keep it because uh, you think you're too old in order to create another career. So there's, again, it's, it's not always biological. It's not always mental. It's not always emotional. It is always individual. And so mm-hmm. if you treat the individual rather than trying to provide a, a one one-stop solution called prescription XYZ, then um, therein is where depression as a placeholder can transform into a graceholder.
0: Okay. So maybe this would be a good spot to talk about the upcoming webinar that you have on depression.
1: Well, I would love to talk about the upcoming webinar that will already be passed by the time. Right, <laughs> For, um, right. Our show airs, however, um, I will be teaching a webinar on depression as opportunity, and I record the webinars, and they are available as uh, a downloadable purchase on my website. So if you're interested in learning more about depression as opportunity, depression as a placeholder, options for dissipating the gap between where you are and where you want to be, then visiting the MJOY website at www.mjoyheartfield.com and going to the webinar icon would be a great option for you. There's actually more than 35 hours of webinars that are available for download, and uh, Depression is Opportunity is one of them, and I'm super, super excited to share this information with people.
0: Uh, I am too. I I I'm actually planning on listening to it. And I'm really glad. I was gonna ask you about that if you're if you're recording them so that people can listen to them later. So that's great. So people will still be able to listen to it even though it's coming up before uh this will actually go online. There's no time. So so
1: yes, I thoroughly enjoyed teaching that webinar that we all attended.
0: <laughs> oh, that's One of the
1: first ones I ever did.
0: <laughs> well, you're setting that up well, aren't you? <laughs> it's sold out. <laughs> That's great. Um Okay, let's there was something I'm not quite sure I completely understand how you use the word completion
1: in terms of how I use it in the integrity effect, in terms of what yes. do I mean? Yes. Well, so Each and every one of us are already fundamentally whole and fundamentally complete. Part of our big challenge in life is getting that, is recognizing that we already are what we wish to become, that within us, we contain all of the ingredients necessary in order to create extraordinary lives. We are already complete. Most of our life journeys are spent searching for completion. Uh, we uh-huh. are looking for love in all the wrong places. We're, we're looking for <laughs> that soulmate to make us feel complete. I, I'm reminded of Jerry Maguire saying, you complete me. Uh, mm-hmm. Or or as soon as we get that next promotion or another in the blank in the bank, then we will, uh, we'll feel complete or we'll feel safe, right? So that's what I mean by completion. However, at the physics level, what I am talking about is the physics of hologramming. What I am talking about is how, um, the all is in the small and the small is in the all that we are the whole universe and the universe is us. And the physics of completion is the physics of the integrity effect. It is the physics of heart-centered awareness. And um, it is a consciousness of completion. And when you begin to holo-frame your reality from the framework of completion, well, then completion begins to be projected and reflected out in all our situations and circumstances. And so there's actually a physics to it. Um, It's the difference between looking to your career or to your relationship or to any placeholder in order to be satisfied, in order to find your happiness, in order to experience joy. And recognizing that joy and happiness and satisfaction is all inherent and innate to all of us. It's within us. And then allowing that to project and reflect out accordingly. So it is, it's, it's approaching reality from the holo framework
0: of completion where we already are what we wish to become. What might you say to someone who feels stuck in their life? How might you be able to help them move forward with just, you know, a few ideas?
1: Well, let's just pretend because I can't go, I, I can't just go hypothetical. I actually um, will okay. track into a person. So let's just pretend it's you. And, um, okay. and so the first thing that I would say is that you're never stuck ever. You might absolutely um, perceive yourself to be stuck. um, But even in that perceived stuckness, there's a tremendous opportunity. And so I would say, first of all, give yourself permission to have whatever experience that you're having. One of the things that tends to drive us into addictions to distractions is we try to shunt away from whatever experience we're having. So permission Mm -hmm. to have it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to have it forever, but just be okay with things sucking right now or or feeling stuck? And then become curious about that pattern, become curious about that experience, perhaps as a placeholder. What is it there to reflect back to you uh, in terms of some aspect that you haven't recognized? Because the feeling of being stuck is more like a cloak for um, fear of making a change or mm-hmm. fear of, of recognizing that you haven't necessarily felt satisfied for a really long time. And instead of making that change and addressing the fear, you create the illusion uh, called I'm stuck, but we are consciousness and we are always moving simply because you've even come into contact with this particular show. Things have already begun to move that there are many, many benevolent forces that are supporting you in embracing the opportunities that feel like the things that you want to get rid of. They become springboards into moving you in a different direction. And so if you were to give yourself permission to be okay with being stuck and then notice how you're not really stuck at all, that there are a series of opportunities surrounding you in any given moment what choice that you could make would bring you the greatest joy. And you don't necessarily have to make that choice. We just want to start opening into it um, Mm -hmm. and sitting with that and notice that just by virtue of giving yourself permission to open into that, uh, that so-called stuck pattern begins to change and, and Mm -hmm. realize that the minute you become okay with something is the minute it begins to change. It's really kind of, counterintuitive. And yet at the same time, when we're, when we're, when we are resisting what is happening, we are actually reinforcing and perpetuating the very things that we think
0: we are powerless to change. Mm -hmm. I I would agree with that. It's, uh, it's like when you finally let go, things start to move, things start to shift.
1: Indeed. And, and um, sometimes Sometimes things start to shift before you let go, and then while things are shifting, you notice that you happen to have let go in the process, and um, that could be helpful because I, I know for myself, I'm like, uh, "You mean I have to let go in order to change? If I could let go, then I wouldn't need to change." Right, and right. so I get all hung up on the need to let go, and then I'm all of a sudden I'm clinging to the very thing that I think I have to release, and it can almost create a hindrance. And so mm-hmm. sometimes moving in the direction that you want to be flowing is an easy, graceful way to let go because you've just moved into a completely different configuration and and suddenly the idea of needing to hold on to something, it doesn't hold the same value anymore.
0: That's a good point, great, thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. This has really been wonderful, I've really enjoyed it. Is there anything that you'd like to say to wrap up that you haven't Well, yet? I
1: think I'll just add that, um, there's a lot of uh, chaos happening right now. I mean, my teachings, mm. while they can, uh, you know, in a in a forty-minute interview, it can it can seem heady, and my teachings are all incredibly practical and grounded in some pretty cutting-edge physics. And what I will say is that there's massive chaos happening at a collective level, and things appear to be falling apart. And uh, At Mm -hmm. at the deepest level of the implicate order, um, things are really coming together in in an entirely new way. And it's super easy to, to get paralyzed by fear or to take a look at some of the current events and to to think that the world as we know it is coming to an end and and at a certain level it's coming to an end so that we can open into new beginnings and and new possibilities and so it's a well it's a dynamic time to be alive it's also a very exciting time to be alive and i would just say to all of our viewers we're, we're going to be okay and some part of your heart knows this and trust that inner knowing and you will be guided and and you will make it through
0: mhm Thank you. Wise words. It is it is a tough time right now. It seems like not just politically, but weather-wise with all of the hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and oh my goodness. It fires. We have fires here. A lot is going on. So there is definitely change afoot and I'm holding out that it's change for the better. Love is reconfiguring. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Love is reconfiguring. Wait, how'd you say that? Love is reconfiguring. You got it. There we go. Great. Thank you. Well, everyone, you can find out more about Melissa Joy Johnson's work online. Uh, w- would you say your, uh, your website again?
1: www.mjoyheartfield.com
0: great. She has online seminars and in-person seminars. I have found Melissa to be incredibly dynamic. She's an awesome teacher. Don't pass up an opportunity to work with her if you can. So you've been listening. Go ahead. I was just thanking you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Keeping It Real with Janine. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Melissa Joy. And if you haven't already, please go to the podcast website, realjanine.com, and check out my other conversations with interesting people. I hope you learned something new today that you can use in your life. Take care and be well.